Uh, babble is a word that we use now to reference people who don't talk and make sense, right? They babble. We get that from the biblical story. The Hebrew word babble is a, a, not a word in itself, but it sounds very much like the Hebrew word for confusion, which uh, uh, is supposedly an onomatopoeia, if you remember that. It's a word that was made up just because that's what it sounds like, babble, 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 babble. When you hear people who talk in some language that you can't understand, you say they babble because it sounds like that. Um, the Greek equivalent is bar, 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 bar. That's what the Greeks thought, and we get barbarian from that. Um, anyway, Peter Bruegel, the elder, by the way, one reason biblical literacy is important and one reason we're doing class, for example, with art this way is because it is the Bible that has been the major influence on civilization, period. The major influence in art historically has come from the Bible. We started out with Michelangelo's picture from the Sistine Chapel of God reaching and, and creating Adam. But part of being biblically literate is also understanding the culture in which we live. Because our culture is based upon a Judeo-Christian heritage, which is found in the Bible. So Peter Bruegel does this uh, uh, painting because he was inspired by the biblical account of the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel is contained in Genesis chapter 11. It's an important story. It teaches us several things. As man tries to find kingdom of God, we learn number one. A united mankind can't accomplish a lot. The building was going up pretty good. Okay? You, you get together and you work hard, you can do a lot. But number two, mankind will never, ever build or find his way to God. Won't happen. Can't happen. Let me make it personal. All of us need redemption if we have not yet found it by the blood of Jesus. And we will never find our redemption. We will never find our dwelling with the Lord based upon what we are building and what we are doing. We can accomplish a lot. We can do things that make people think, oh, they're descending, ascending up into heavens. We can do things that look wonderful. We can do things that look like good works. But we can never, ever build or work our way back to the arms of God. The kingdom comes from above. We don't build it from below. Okay? The third thing we learn here is that mankind's division, because what God does is he says, look, this poor deluded man, you know, they're building all this stuff and, you know, they can do just about anything they think. They won't accomplish the goal of getting back to the kingdom, but they can just build themselves till they're blue in the face and spend their whole lives being happy trying. And we need to stop that and we need to divide them up. And it says that that's where God comes down and he divides mankind up into different cultures and heritages and languages. And that's why Babel, they can't build because one guy's saying, can you bring me the bricks? And the other guy's hearing, and then he says, what did you say? And the guy who said, bring me the bricks, thinks he's hearing. So absent a charismatic revival, they were lost at that point in time. Um, so we get those lessons from Babel. And after Babel, it, toward the end of Hebrews chapter 11, we now get to the point of Abraham. Abraham is, um, 
um, called from Ur of the Chaldees when he's 75 years old. Uh, Abraham, oh, by the way, your Bible's got a bunch of lineage in it up to this point. So-and-so begat, so-and-so who begat, so-and-so who begat, so-and-so. We don't have the keys to understanding um, 21st century concepts of of, uh, exactly who was whose father and how were they really living that long and what do those years mean anyway. Um, We don't have the keys to understanding that and there's ambiguity in the text. That's not really what the text was there to offer us to start with. What the lineage is there to show us is that God's promise is valid. That Abraham himself, by the time we get to Abraham, is truly in fact a descendant of Eve and of Noah. And that the promise can be charted and the lineage is true and God's promise is valid. That it is through those seeds as further defined that he will bring his redemption. So God goes to Abraham and calls Abraham and says, Abraham, you're 75, I want you to leave home and I want you to follow me. And Abraham says, okay. And Abraham becomes what we call the first patriarch. This is our theological term de jure. Patriarch. Patriarch means the fathers of the Hebrew nation. There were basically Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob becomes the father of the 12 tribes. And when you're reading theology books or other religious books, they'll often refer to the time of the patriarchs or the patriarchal time. They're talking about this time in Genesis chapter 11 around verse 20-something, 27 or something, where Abraham makes his appearance in the Bible, stretching up to the time that Jacob dies, and uh, basically through the time of Genesis. That's the patriarchal age, and uh, Abraham is our first patriarch. Now, Abraham is a righteous man, but it's not as in Babylon, I mean Babel, because he's building up his righteousness before God. Abraham's a righteous man because he believes and puts his faith in God. And it says that his faith is counted or reckoned as righteousness. Paul will quote this in Romans and and, uh, New Testament writers will refer to this. That Abraham, Genesis 15, 6, that's worth flipping to and it's worth circling in your Bible or highlighting. Abraham's faith, his faithfulness, his belief, Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. When Paul does this, Paul uses the word for credit or reckon that means to um, put it in your bank account and write checks on it because you're confident of it. Abraham, it was a deposit in his bank account that he could draw on. He was righteous because he put his faith in God. In fact, if you chart through Abraham's actions, his actions weren't all that righteous all the time. But his first start that we read about here is pretty good. Um, This is a map of the Middle East, um, of the pertinent part. Here's Iraq today. We see this on TV. That's Iran over there. Here's Kuwait down here. Okay, y'all with me? This is Saudi Arabia. Here's Israel over here. This is Jordan, Syria. Egypt, um, that's the Nile River, uh, that's Turkey, that's where we wanted to fly over and they wouldn't let us, so now we're bringing our ships down through here so that we can use them. Um, up here is Babel, that's real close to where today uh, Baghdad is. And you can see some of the ruins of, of, of Babel there in, whoops, in Baghdad, um, outside of Baghdad. Ur is right down here. This is the Euphrates River. That's the Tigris River. 
Ur is right down here. This is where Abraham was from. Abraham was an Iraqi uh, uh, in the sense that he lived in what is currently Iraq. He was not an Iraqi by heritage. He preceded them. Um, Abraham lives here, and Abraham's told, pick up your things, leave your home, and come follow the Lord. And Abraham becomes our first example of someone who just picks up their things and leaves their home and follows the Lord. With his things that he picked up included his wife, Sarah, uh, actually, at the time, she was Sarai, and his name was Abram. He had not yet had his name changed. And so Abram leaves his home with Sarai. He takes his nephew, Lot. Um, you've heard of casting your lot with someone. Uh, lot cast his with Abraham, uh, Abram. And they left Ur of the Chaldees, and they started going this way. They went west over to Shechem. And uh, uh, it's Shechem where we next, next read of what Abraham was doing. Abraham's journeys will take him to Shechem. They'll take him to Bethel. They'll take him to Hebron. Um, they'll take him uh, all in this area, eventually even down into Egypt. While Abraham has gone out, he goes to Egypt, by the way, because of a famine. There's a famine in the land. He's got to go down to Egypt, and he's worried when he goes. This is what kind of guy Abram was. He's worried because Sarai, his wife, is a babe. And Abram is at least, now he's over 75. He was 75 when he left with the babe. Hard to fight for your woman when you're pressing, you know, the, the, the big 8-0. So <laughs> Abram d- d- gets this plan in his head. Now, now, first of all, realize this man's got the blessing of God. God said, I, through your seed, I further defined the promise of my redemption, and it's going to be through your seed, Abram, that it comes, okay? So he's got the blessing of God. He's a man of faith. He believes God enough to pick up all his stuff, leave Iraq, uh, to to go over to uh, um, Israel. He goes over there, but in the midst of this, he starts getting a little bit worried. And he says, look, I, I have the blessing of God and all, but, but I'm concerned because we're going to go down there, Sarah, and people are going to see you and they're going to say, she's a babe, and they're going to take you and they're just going to kill me because they want you. So I got an idea. And she says, what's that, Abe? And he says, well, here's the deal. When we go in there, let's just tell them you're my sister. And then when it comes time to leave, obviously Abram's going to try and steal her out in the dead of the night. But while they're there getting the food they need for the famine, if she's his sister, then uh, men can figure they can like court her or whatever without having to kill Abe. So this is Abe's plan. doesn't sound like the Lord was really consulted on this plan. This isn't the typical way the Lord works. Um, Abe goes in there, though. It's real interesting what happens. Sarah catches the eye of Pharaoh. That's like king of Egypt, right? And Pharaoh says, who is she? And Abe says, well, that's my sister. And he says, I want your sister. So Pharaoh starts like giving all these presents to Abraham to try and impress him. He's giving him like sheep and, and food and, and all sorts of donkeys and things. And Abe's getting kind of rich. Sarah, meanwhile, is being taken in to be a wife of the Pharaoh, which doesn't mean uh, that she was taken in an intimate way at that point. The Bible's clear that she was not. But there's preparation involved before intimacy back then. And she's just part of the concubine. And one day he may want her or maybe he thinks she needs to be there to teach the younger women. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But 
The Bible does tell us that God has to fix Abraham's problem because God has better plans for the couple than one of them being Pharaoh's wife and the other one living off the wealth of Pharaoh. God steps in and curses Pharaoh and his household and they all start getting sick. And so uh, uh, Pharaoh figures out what's going on and he finds out that Sarah was in fact Abe's wife and that this is why he's being punished. And Pharaoh goes to Abraham and says, why have you done this? This was not necessary. Why weren't you just honest? You know, and he could have added, you are a patriarch. Except he may not have known our theological term de jure, so he's not in a position to necessarily say that. But he can say, hey, why don't you lie to me? There's no cause for that. Now, I, I, I didn't know, and now i got all this disease rampant in my household. Dogs and cats living together. Everything's falling apart. And it's all because you lied to me. And Abe says, yes, yeah, sorry. He says, now take your sister or your wife, whatever you want to call her, and take all your junk and leave. So Abraham leaves, of course. He took on all his junk, all the junk that Pharaoh gave him too. So it was like a, a twofer for him. He got his wife back and he got the booty for his wife. And so he leaves with all of this treasure and he's starting to get rich. Well, not only him, but his nephew Lot's got a pretty good stuff too. And you know how those things can be when you go into business with family. It doesn't always work out. Sometimes I, I do business with my family and it works out great. But they had a little bit of trouble. And so... Um, uh, the Abraham and Lot are getting along, but their underlings are not. So Abraham says to Lot, he says, look, I tell you what, why don't you just decide what land you want? You take your land and you go one way, whoops, and I'll take and I'll go the other. So Lot looks around and being the good Christian man he was, he said, no, Abraham, you pick. Not really. Instead, what Lot does is Lot looks around and says, Okay, this is the really good stuff over here in the east. Um, doesn't say it out loud, but he says it in his brain. And then from his mouth proceeds, um, Abraham, I believe I'll head east. And so Lot takes the good stuff for himself and heads to the area where there were two wonderful towns that were big tourist traps back then called Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, they're not with us now anymore. But uh, at the time they were, and that's the direction where, uh, where Lot leaves. That leaves Abraham there getting the, the remains of, of what's left, although God visits Abraham and says something very important. He says, Abe, look north. That would be that way. He says, look south that way. Abe's over here right now. Look west. That's that way. Look east. That's that way. It says, as far as you can see, you get it all anyway. Through your people, their, your offspring, this is all theirs. So don't worry. Lot's just there temporarily. Um, he doesn't own it in fee simple, and it won't be his uh, forever. Um, so Lot goes east. Abraham gets everything, and just trouble starts befalling Lot. First of all, these four kings come down and start attacking Lot and the people in his area. Lot's taken captive, leaves Abraham no choice but to leave in the dead of night with 300 plus of his best men. And they go out and they rout the kings. They get Lot back. He meets this weird guy named Melchizedek in the Bible at this point. And that's in Genesis chapter 14. And, and Jerusalem doesn't exist as a town yet, but there's a town called Salem, which is uh, 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 Jerusalem without the Jeru. And uh, Salem means... Uh, uh, well, that's what it is. Salem means peace. Jerusalem means new peace. And so it's, it's in the general vicinity of what becomes Jerusalem. 
and Melchizedek comes out, the writer of Hebrews will have a heyday of this and we'll look at it in more detail. But you need to remember that it happened and it happened in Genesis chapter 14. Um, as things continue, um, we continue and we get to Genesis chapter 16. And, and in chapter 16, um, Sarah, uh, uh, in fact, let me, let me back up. Because that's Genesis 18. I'm sure you recognized it. We'll turn that off for a moment. In Genesis chapter 16, Sarah gets upset. And Sarah says, okay, Abe, we've got a problem here. We've got a problem because God's going to do this through your offspring. That's the promise. I'm getting real old and I haven't been able to have a baby yet. So um, we need to help the Lord out here. And Abraham says, well, what do you have in mind? Um, Adoption was not that big of a deal then. Abraham was already worried that Eleazar... Uh, his uh, like number one servant was going to wind up inheriting everything because God was getting a little slow on coming through. And Sarah says, no, 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 no. We're going to help the Lord out. One of my maid servants or, or uh, young ladies who, who accompany me, her name is Hagar. And what you need to do is take Hagar and sleep with Hagar so that you can then have offspring. And um, it does not say that Abraham put up a fuss. Uh, it does say that Abraham did that, um, uh, and uh, Hagar gets pregnant with a baby that's going to be named Ishmael. Um, Sarah, uh, after this happens, decides that uh, she's pretty upset with it, and I'll leave it for Lewis to explain on some uh, Sunday he deals with marriage how it is that a wife can suggest something, and when the husband does it, the wife can then say, why did you do that? <laughs> but I know it's been going on for a long time. And um, so Sarah comes back to Abraham and says, you just disgust me. I cannot believe you've done this with that other woman. And now she's pregnant and I'm very upset. And Abraham's pulling his hair out saying, you know, I didn't want to. I know well, you told me to and it was your idea anyway. And while this is going on, God makes another visit to Abraham. And this visit's a little more painful than the last because it involves circumcision. God comes to Abraham and he says, okay, we're going to renew this covenant and I'm going to circumcise you or you're going to get circumcised. All of your your heritage and offspring from here on out are going to get circumcised. That's going to be one of the signs of the covenant between you and me. And oh, by the way, have I told you from your offspring, I'm going to bless all of the world and it's not Ishmael who was born to Hagar. And Abraham says, oh, cool. And uh, uh, the circumcision takes place. Um, But in the process of this, as God's saying from you and your offspring, in the visitation, Abraham falls down on his face and laughs. Um, uh, He thought God really had a sense of humor. Um, God confirms this with Abraham and says, I want to change your name. I want to change your name from Abram, which just means father. The emphasis is on father, so it's an exalted father changes his name to Abraham, which means uh, father of many, and says we're going to change Sarah's name from Sarai to Sarah uh, in conjunction with all of this. And uh, um, life goes on. Well, in the process of life going on, let's get back here, there comes a day, as Rembrandt etched back in 1656, when Abraham is visited by three, one, two, three, um, visitors. And they're sitting around having a good time. That's Ishmael up there with the bow about to shoot something. And that's Sarah hiding in the doorway trying to snoop on what's going on. 
we don't know from the Bible that she was necessarily trying to snoop. That may have been Rembrandt's assumption, but he was a married man and he felt pretty good about that being what was happening. So, <laughs> that was a joke. So, um, Sarah's in the door and Abraham's sitting there and these three guests say, hey, you want the good news or the bad news? Uh, the good news is you're going to have a kid at which point Sarah laughs, and they say, did you laugh, Sarah? And, and she lies and says no, and says, yes, you did. But it doesn't matter. You're still going to have the kid. You don't lose it for laughing. And, um, uh, and that, that's the good news. The bad news is uh, I'm going to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah. This is God talking. I'm going to wipe them out. They're evil, and, and there's no hope for them. And there comes a time, biblically, I believe it's taught, there comes a time where evil becomes so corrupt that it needs to go ahead and just be destroyed. And that's uh, what happened with Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, Abraham is um, a businessman and decides he's going to cut a deal with the Lord. And he says, hey, boy, time, time, time out. And they negotiate back and forth on how many righteous people Abraham has to find so that God will relent and not destroy the city. Well, Abraham goes down. He can't find that many righteous people. So he tells Lot, come on out. Uh, things are about to get bad. So Lot is sent out. Actually, Abraham doesn't go down. The, the angel of the Lord goes down. Lot comes out with his wife and his daughters, and they are told something. They're told, okay, leave, walk that way, do not look back. Okay, that's pretty easy instruction to understand, right? Nothing too complicated there. Um, they leave, and... Um, oh... I didn't get the picture in there. I should have just bought a Morton salt shaker for this picture. Something terribly bad happens to Lot's wife. She decides she doesn't care what the Lord says, and she turns around and looks back anyway. She becomes a pillar of salt. Um, uh, I should be a pillar of salt. I've looked back too many times. There are too many things God's told me to do, especially living forward as opposed to in my past. And I don't know about you, but too many of us live staring at our past. And while we may not become pillars of salt, we become equally ineffective at walking and living into our future. And what we're to do is to press on to what lies ahead and forget what lies behind. We learn lessons from the past, but we move forward. It's a biblical message that we'll hear over and over, so part of biblical literacy is to remember that it happened. Um, Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed in chapter 19 of Genesis. And then guess what happens in Genesis chapter 21? We have a birth. We have the birth of Isaac to Sarah and Abraham. God's promise has been fulfilled. We have patriarch number two. Okay? Now, that makes it a little bit worse for Hagar and Ishmael. Because Sarah basically says, okay, you remember that time you messed up? you got to do something about it. I want him out of here. I want him out of here. I've got my own son to raise. And so Abraham, and, and this is a Rembrandt etching of the scene. That is Hagar, and that's Ishmael. And Abraham loads Hagar up with food and stuff for the road, but he boots her out. And as he does it, you can see he, he keeps one foot in his house or on his doorstep and the other foot on the ground as, as he's there and he's torn between them leaving and, and his home that he's taking care of. Uh, the Bible does teach us that Abraham's not happy about having to send her away. But she goes away and God puts a blessing on Ishmael that says, while there's always going to be discord between you and the seed of Abraham, I will bless you into a great nation and your people will be a great people. 
and uh, folks believe that that is the heritage of the Arabic nation today, which is in constant discord with the children of Israel um, to this day. But uh, uh, off they go. Abraham now is there with his son Isaac. As he's there with his son Isaac, God puts Abraham to a test. God says, uh, I want you to go sacrifice your son Isaac. And um, if you listen to Bob Dylan much uh, growing up, uh, I believe it was Highway 61 uh, is the song. God said to Abraham, kill me a son. Abe said, man, you must be putting me on. God said, no. Abe said, what? God said, you can do what you want to, but next time you see me coming, you better run. Abe said, where you want the killing done? God said, out on Highway 61. It's Highway 61. Um, that's not exactly how it happened, with all deference to Bob. Um, but he captures some of the flavor. I'm sure it did come as some shock to Abraham that the son that was so long awaited, that was laughed at by him, laughed at by her, all of a sudden this son's supposed to be killed. It's an important story. God calls for the sacrifice as part of the covenant, the covenant being God is going to redeem His people. God is going to redeem His fallen people. And as part of that, Isaac's supposed to be taken up to be sacrificed. Abraham takes Isaac up, and Isaac's a good, obedient son. And they, they get the wood, and they get everything they need, and they go up. And at this point, Isaac turns around to Dad, as Rembrandt is sketched, and says, Hey, Dad, I see the wood. I see the fire. We brought the fire. We got a knife. But we forgot the lamb. Dad, where is the lamb? If you've got your Bible, your Bible should should open to, uh, let me see if I put the scripture up here, Genesis 22 verse 8. It's one to circle, it's one to highlight, it's one to put out to the side, Jesus. Because in Genesis 22 verse 8, Abraham prophetically answers his son with something so profound and so deep and and so, so historical and so right on the button that there's no question the word came straight from the Lord. And this is what Abraham says. He says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. The lamb that brings covenant restoration. The lamb that brings the kingdom of God. The lamb to be sacrificed for God's people to be redeemed. Isaac, don't worry. God will provide that lamb. Abraham did not know at the time what he was saying. But ultimately God did. And the son that was sacrificed was not Isaac. It was Jesus Christ Himself. As Abraham in his faithfulness took Isaac up, Rembrandt did a painting of of Abraham, his hand over the face of of Isaac, his his other hand with a knife, and, and the angel of the Lord comes down and stops Abraham. Uh, In this picture, Abraham's so shocked he drops the knife. And there is a ram in the thicket that's caught, and God says, don't do this. Use the ram instead. This was a mere foreshadowing of the sacrifice that God would pay. God would pay the price. Isaac's sacrifice would not have done anything. It would take the sacrifice of the Son of God to to, uh, uh, effectuate anything. Well, this is Genesis chapter 22. We get to Genesis chapter 23. Um, Isaac's going to marry Rebekah. She's like a daughter of a cousin... 
Um, they go back and get her. And she fathers twins, Esau and Jacob. Jacob becomes patriarch number three. Esau becomes uh, nothing. Um, Esau is the oldest. The prophecy is given while they're in the womb of, of uh, Rebekah. And the prophecy says that um, the older will serve the younger. So it's child number two that the blessing is going to come through. And that's Jacob. So we always hear about Jacob and Esau. You have, you've heard of Jacob and Esau? Really, it's Esau and Jacob. Esau was first. You know, you ought to say his name first. Jacob came later. But Jacob became the most important. And so Esau and Jacob uh, um, come to them. And uh, this is a, a, a painting of the negotiations to get Rebecca. I thought y'all might want to know what she looked like. And so I threw that painting in here. Um, uh, Rembrandt wasn't quite sure what she looked like, so he did his as an etching that was a little bit unclear. But she was a nice lady who got this whole job because she was offering water to Eleazar, the servant, who was sent to, to find it. Um, with Esau and Jacob, we see great drama unfold over deceit, manipulation, and the promise of God. Um, uh, the, the, the story is, is great. And, and I just knew I was going to make it through Genesis today. Um, but I'm tempted to pause here and say to be continued... If you remember, um, at least my age, when I was growing up back in the 60s, there was a TV show that uh, uh, my older sister Catherine used to watch. I, I was into 60 Minutes. But Catherine, <laughs> Catherine used to watch Batman on TV all the time. And, uh, you know, at, at the end of every other show, it would be like uh, the dynamic duo in trouble. And the narrator would come on and say, hey, stay tuned next week, same bat time, same bat station, channel, yeah. Um, that's kind of what we're going to do right now because I'm not making it through and I'm not going to do justice to the rest of this if I don't pause here. But let me tell you that um, while Lot is, is behind us, we've got a lot to come. And uh, uh, what I would... <laughs> yeah. Woof. Um, what I would urge you to do is throw your lesson in the notebook, come back next week, let's finish Genesis, and if we have a chance to start getting into some of the narrative of Exodus, it just gets better. Would you close in prayer, please? Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love that you have given us. Father, it is a wondrous thing to get to look in history and see how you've moved among your people. And it's really neat to have the 2020 hindsight, Lord, that enables us to see um, um, as you moved in history, uh, you, you worked this incredible uh, um, dynamic out that, that brought us our redemption and brought us into your kingdom. For that, we're thankful, Lord. I pray you'll continue to bless our class. I pray you'll bless everyone here, Lord, with a good peace this week that regardless of whatever comes before them, when they rest in the hands of Almighty God, they are part of your plan, and they have a future, and they have your provision. That is a peace, Lord, we should all enjoy every day, but we're robbed by the enemy, and I pray that peace upon your people, the peace of you, our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Jesus we pray, amen.